as we've been working our way through the book of First Samuel. Uh, one of the things that we keep talking about that we're uh, being taught and learning from this, uh, this book is that God is seeking to prepare His people uh, to anticipate and hope for the coming of His King. And to prepare His people that we would look forward to the coming of that kingdom. Uh, so far what we've seen is that uh, the, the people in their rejection of God as their king, uh, God in, in judgment provided a king for them of their own choosing, Saul. Uh, later, God in his mercy and his grace, because he's committed to his, his faithful promises and to bringing about a redemption to his people and to the nations, he's provided a king of his own choosing. But what we've seen over the past several weeks and chapters is that neither of those kings are doing a great job in bringing the kingdom about in righteousness and holiness and justice and truth. Both the, the mere man chosen by the people and the mere man appointed by God are struggling to bring that about in their own strength. It's becoming clear that in order for this kingdom to arrive in its fullness, God is going to have to act and work and move. No mere man, no mere human king can bring this about. Uh, This week, as we look in chapters 29 and 30, we are going to see the emphasis that the, this, the author of 1 Samuel places on the necessity and the, the truth that God is acting. So please look with me in chapter 29 of the book of 1 Samuel. If you're following along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, that's on page 251. We're going to look uh, through all of chapter 29 and all of chapter 30 this morning. So please follow along with me as you, uh, as you hear from God's Word. Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek, and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. As the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with a kish, the commanders of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years? And since he he deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back, that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Is not this David, of whom they sing to one another and dance, as Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands? Then Achish called David and said to him, As Yahweh lives, you have been honest. Uh, And to me, it seems right that you should march out and end with me in the campaign. For I have found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the lords do not approve of you. So go back now and go peaceably, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. And David said to Achish, But what have I done? 
What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? And Achish answered David and said, I know that you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, He shall not go up with us to battle. Now then, rise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who came with you, and start early in the morning and depart as soon as you have a light. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. But the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negeb and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the wife of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in Yahweh his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of Yahweh, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So David set out, and the six hundred men who were with him, and they came to the brook of uh, Bezor, where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued, he and four hundred men. Two hundred stayed behind, who were too exhausted to cross the brook Bezor. They found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David, and they gave him bread, and he ate. They gave him water to drink, and they gave him a piece of uh, cake of of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit revived, for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, To whom do you belong, and where are you from? He said, I'm a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite, and my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. We had made a raid against the Negev of the the Cherethites and against uh, that which belongs to Judah and against the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, Will you take me down to this band? And he said, Swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this band. And when he had taken him down, behold, they were spread abroad all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing, because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped except four hundred young men who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, This is David's spoil. Then David came to the two hundred men who had been too exhausted to follow David and who had been left in the brook Bezor. And they went out to meet uh, David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered. 
except that each man may lead away his wife and his children and depart. But David said, You shall not do so, my brothers, with what Yahweh has given to us. He has preserved us and given into our hands the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage, and they shall share alike. And he made it a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. When David came to Ziklag, he sent part of the spoil to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, Here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of Yahweh. It was for those in Bethel and Ramoth of the Negev and Jatir and Aror and Sifmoth and Eshtemoah and Rakal and the cities of the Jeremelites and the cities of the Kenites and Horma and Bor Ashan and Athak and Hebron for all the places where David and his men had roamed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have acted. You acted to create and bring this world into existence. Uh, You uh, acted in response to humanity's rebellion with a a curse for the serpent and the promise of a redeemer for your people. We think that you have acted to give us true uh, and accurate and reliable revelation of all of your mighty acts and works for your glory and behalf of your people. We pray that this morning that you would continue to act. God the Spirit, would you apply your word to the hearts of your people that we would give our complete and total allegiance and hope to Christ. Continue to change us that we would respond appropriately to all of your acts, all of your work, and all that you're doing in the world and in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. God is going to have to act. That's what we want to look at in this passage. We're going to see that God acts to preserve the honor of the kingdom. We're going to see that God acts to change the heart of the king. And that God acts to rescue the people of the king. So, uh, kids, if you want to keep track of, uh, of some of those words, how about it today if you keep track of, uh, of, of honor, of heart, and of people? Um, and if, you, uh, if you've gotten tired of keeping track of, uh, of words that I say, this morning also there's uh, some pretty cool imagery you could draw a picture. I know some of our, our artists like doing that. So, how about this? You could either, uh, you could draw a picture of... Uh, uh, of verses 1 through 6 in chapter 30, where David and the men come back and find that Ziklag has been burned and everybody's taken away. Or maybe you could draw uh, a picture of what happens in uh, verses uh, 16 through 20 when they've captured and restored and brought everybody back. And show them to me after, this, after the service. So we want to we wanna look and see how it is going to be necessary for God himself to act. The kingdom is going to come about in its, in its fullness. Uh, notice here how we see God is acting to preserve the honor of the kingdom. Uh, remember, over the, the past few chapters, we've, uh, we've seen both David and Saul not be concerned with the honor of God's 
kingdom. Over, over the past few chapters, we've seen this, uh, this emphasis going back and this comparison between David and Saul, where both have failed to seek and inquire of the Lord. David, in the beginning of uh, chapter 27, it said that he, he said in his own heart, in fear, that he was surely going to die, and there was no hope for him, and the only good thing that was there for him was for him to go to the Philistines, and so he fled. Saul, we see, uh, is uh, uh, instead of inquiring and humbling himself and repenting before God, he's pursuing after mediums and necromancers to try to find out what it is to, to do so that he can preserve his own kingdom despite what God has said. And notice here, uh, because, uh, particularly with David, uh, because of, of his failure to inquire of the Lord, for his failure to be thinking about honoring God and his kingdom, David has ended up in a terrible predicament. Remember what happened when he, he fled out of, uh, out of Judah to escape Saul? He went and uh, decided to reside with uh, Achish, the king of Gath. And there David became his mercenary. But in the, in the midst of that, David wasn't considering the honor of God and the honor of his kingdom. Not thinking what it would look like for David to, God's anointed and appointed king, to join himself with the enemies of God's people. Not just living there, but on the surface saying, I'm going to fight and battle with them. Not thinking and considering it may come up that because the Philistines are the enemies of the people of God, that David, you might be asked to do the unthinkable and actually go and fight on behalf of the Philistines against the people of God. And here, that very thing happens. As we encounter and begin and see here in chapter 29, David is, has come. He's shown up with Achish and all the men of Gath. They're parading before the rest of the Philistines. Here, God's king is with the enemies of God's people, God's king. Because you've associated yourself with the enemies of God's people, what does that mean, David? Are you now an enemy of God? What does your presence here reflect about your, your God and His kingdom and your thoughts of it? You're supposed to represent righteousness and holiness to the people, to demonstrate and show the people what true faithfulness looks like to walk before your God. Have you forgotten, David, what God promised? That He would be the one who brings you to the throne. He's already judged Saul, and now here, you are in battle against the, God's people. What are you going to do? It, it could end up that, that by your hand, Saul and his sons come to their end? Is that the way you want to grab hold of the kingdom? What is that going to reflect about God's character to his people or to the nations? Oh, that's right. You haven't considered that, have you, David? Because you're not focused on the honor of God and his kingdom. You're focused on yourself. We've seen that over the past few weeks. And now here, what is David going to do? He's stuck. He's on the battlefield. They're getting ready to go out. Is he going to just protect Achish and not fight for the Israelites? Is he going to turn and actually attack the Philistines? Is he going to actually turn around and, uh, and battle against Israel? We don't know. 
And it doesn't seem that it's apparent that David knows either because he hasn't sought the Lord. David's stuck. What is he going to do? The good thing for David is that God does care about the honor of his kingdom. And God does act. Notice we don't see God's name come up here except when Akish mentions it uh, in this uh, explanation in verse 6. But the scriptures are clear that we have a sovereign God who is at work and in control of all things. David has no ability in and of himself to salvage honor for the kingdom here. But God acts and works, and he uses the suspicion of the Philistines to preserve the honor of his kingdom and the honor of his king. And David is sent home. It's clear that although David isn't committed to the honor of the kingdom, God is. And he acts and he works, and David is protected from dishonoring God any further. And he's sent home. It's a good thing that God acted and worked because David could have dishonored his God even further. The question might come up, well, if God is this committed to his kingdom and bringing it about and his covenant purposes and his honor, then does it really matter what I do? If he's going to act in this way, then I don't really need to be that concerned about being diligent to focus on the honor of God's kingdom. Because look at at David's life. God acted anyway. No harm, no foul. God's sovereign. Why do I need to be concerned with my own responsibility and diligence in this situation? Well, think about it this way. Think about if you are... uh, You've been hired by the owner of a restaurant. Uh, He's a a good and a kind and a gracious uh, owner. He's paying you more than you deserve. And he's hired you for one purpose. And and that is to make sure that the dining area is clean so that when guests come in, they see a, a clean and welcoming environment that people think highly of. They honor this restaurant that the owner has has made. In fact, his name is on it. But what you notice is that all throughout the day, the owner is still, from time to time, he comes into the dining room. And he'll pick up a stray crumb here and a, a, a fork that's fallen on the floor over here, straighten up the chairs. You could begin to think, well, if he's going to come out here and do it anyway, what does it matter whether I do my job or not? You see, that would be what an unfaithful servant would think about. But a faithful servant would think about the character and the kindness of the owner. The one who had extended you such grace and mercy to provide you this job, you would see his priorities and his desire and his focus on making sure that his restaurant was presented as honorable and you would want to enact and carry out the priorities and the desires of this owner. His, his efforts, his focus, his determination at the honor of his restaurant would drive and fuel and motivate your diligence to pursue his honor and the honor of the restaurant. And is that not even more so the case for us and our God, who is graciously and mercifully 
called us into His kingdom. Why has He called us? Why has He saved us? Just so that we can escape hell and punishment? No. He's called us because He loves us. He's called us and has restored us that we would demonstrate and show His holiness, His greatness, His righteousness to the world. That honor and glory would be uh, demonstrated for Him and for His kingdom to the watching nations. That our focus and the thing that we seek first would be His kingdom and His honor and His glory. Here, what do we see our God doing? He is diligently focused on preserving the honor of His kingdom. And if that is the heart and the intention of our God and our Redeemer... Should that not be our focus as well? Think about how much God is intent on delivering His people and and saving them so that they can be focused on the honor of His kingdom. That we see here that David the king is not going to do a good job of bringing this out in its fullness. But what does God do? God acts. No mere man, no mere king will be enough. God must take on flesh. Jesus, the true king, God and man, enters into our world. Jesus' complete and total focus was on the glory and honor of His God. When we beheld Jesus, we beheld the glory of the only begotten Son of God, and we saw in Him the fullness of the glory of our God. Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer, who would give Himself to redeem and save a people for the honor and glory of our God, calls us, His people, to seek first His kingdom. Why wouldn't we want to do that if this is the kind of God we serve? If He would go to that extent to save us, to enter into our world and call us to live in a way that seeks the honor of His kingdom? Have you ever experienced this, though? God breaking in graciously into your life where you're in a situation that you entered into foolishly, failing to seek the the counsel and inquire of God and His Word of how He would call His people to live. And you find yourself maybe in a job or at a party or at an establishment or uh, doing certain things with your friends or a, a team that you realize in the midst you're in way over your head. And if this continues to go on, you don't have the strength in yourself to get out of that situation or out of that environment unless God acts and moves. Sometimes God does leave us in those situations for us to experience the detriment of our sin. But other times, you can think back to where God graciously brought you out of that in a way that you weren't foreseeing, just like David here. Would you respond to that breaking in of God's grace and seek all the more, like we're seeing this passage call us to, to seek the honor of God and His kingdom because He has acted. Left to ourselves, we will do nothing but dishonor our King and His kingdom. The good thing for us is that we have a sovereign God who acts and is committed to the honor of His kingdom, but also to changing the heart of His King 
and his people. Do you notice here in this passage how God acts to change the heart of the king? Back over in verses 1 through 6 of verse 30. David escapes from this predicament he found himself in with Achish and the armies there of Gath. And it says, Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. Remember who the Amalekites were? That's who David attacked and completely wiped out some of their uh, bands of, of raiders before. They had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and his daughters. What a horrible, horrible disaster. David escapes by the skin of his teeth from dishonoring God with the armies of the Philistines, only here to face deep hardship, suffering, pain, loss. What in the world? Where is this coming from? Know that it is no accident. Remember what the, all of the Scriptures teach and what we've already seen happening in this, uh, this book so far. Nothing happens as an accident. God is active and working in the world, bringing about His purposes. This trial, this struggle, God is acting and bringing upon His King as a means to change His heart. Remember what we've seen up to this point? Remember how long David's been living in Ziklag? Living with the Philistines? apart from God's people, apart from God's land? A year and four months, it tells us. Akish even talked about that. How long had David proved his faithfulness? Well, he's been living with me for days and years. David has been estranged from the Lord. He hasn't been seeking God. When's the last time you remember David pouring out his heart before the Lord and in his distress and in his grief and his struggle fleeing to his God? The last time this happened, where did David go? He fled to himself. He sought in his own heart. He didn't turn his heart to his God. He didn't seek and inquire of his God. And look at where it left him. But here, God committed to his promises, committed to his king and his people, God acts to bring in this trial into David's life to change his heart. And you notice the effect? Look what happens in the end of verse 6. Let's pick up just in verse 6 just to catch the context again. David was greatly distressed. The people spoke of stoning him. 
They were all bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in Yahweh his God. What gracious words to hear. David has been fleeing from his God, going to the Philistines, but now he recognizes again the covenant God of Israel is my God. He has redeemed and saved and called me. And now I recognize and realize this is more than I can handle. I need Him. My enemies are against me. My people are against me. I've lost everything. Where can I turn? I can go back to my gracious and merciful God who, although I've turned from Him, continues to pursue me. And notice how he responds. He strengthens himself in Yahweh. And then David says to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. Remember what the ephod was at this period of time during the uh, Old Covenant. One of the ways that God's leaders could inquire specifically of God about what to do in particular circumstances is they could go to the priest. The priest had these, the, uh, the ephod before him. Uh, which would have the Urim and the Thummim, which would uh, be a way that he could inquire and ask questions before the Lord, and the Lord would answer yes or no. And notice that's what we see here. He says, he inquires of Yahweh, shall I pursue after this band? He's looking for a yes or no answer. Shall I overtake them? And he answers. God is the one who answers here. Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So David set out, and the 600 men who were with him and they came to the brook Bazor where those who were left behind stayed. Notice the response. They got to dust the dust off of this ephod. It's been unused for over a year. But now, because of this trial that the Lord acts and brings into David's life, his heart has changed. He's humbled. He's brought back to consider and look and turn to his God. What would have happened? if David would have been left to himself to do what he wanted to do, to pursue after consulting in his own mind and his own heart, his heart wouldn't have been changed. His heart wouldn't have been softened. He would have continued through his actions and his decisions to harden his own heart and lead to further distance and isolation. We don't always consider how our actions affect everything about us. Physically, Emotionally? Spiritually? Uh, several years ago, there was a documentary film that was put out called Super Size Me. Uh, in it, this guy uh, wanted to see what would happen if you lived strictly on a, a diet of McDonald's. Uh, three meals a day. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, on the front side, I think that, you know, they were just thinking, uh, probably gain some weight. Um, but... After 30 days of eating nothing but McDonald's, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and any time he was asked, do you want that supersize, he had to answer yes. At the end of the 30 days, actually before the 30 days ended, his doctors were pleading with him to stop. Because not only had he gained uh, like 40 pounds, it was beginning to affect his emotions, his happiness, the way that he wanted to interact or be around his uh, his loved ones. He was losing energy. He was losing sleep. 
It was beginning to affect his heart and his emotions. Everything about him was being affected. And if he was uh, allowed to just continue and move forward, eating whatever he wanted, it was going to bring disastrous consequences to every aspect of his life. If that's the case with McDonald's food, what do you think will happen if we go prolonged periods of time not nourishing and strengthening ourselves in our God, but nourishing and strengthening ourselves with the junk food that the world has to offer, that our hearts have to offer, that Satan has to offer? No, here, our God is acting and He works to change the hearts of His people. And sometimes that involves Him bringing trials into our lives. James, Jesus' brother, says, Consider it joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect so that you will be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Notice what James says. God will bring trials into your life. Count it joy, because what God is seeking to do is to change you, to perfect you, to make you complete. So respond appropriately to the God who in His grace and mercy seeks to change the hearts and lives of His people. He does not leave His people to themselves because without God acting, your heart would never change. None of us would have embraced and trusted and hoped in Christ. It it required God's Spirit to come to turn these hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, to, to take the blindness away from our eyes. Or as our pastor in Clemson used to say, we all had broken wanters and we wanted the wrong thing. And until God fixes our wanter, we're not going to want what is right and good, and that is Him. But God in His grace and in His mercy did what was necessary by sending His Son, and Jesus poured out the Spirit to continue to change and work in the hearts and lives of God's people. Is God bringing something into your life right now? Is He acting to change your heart? Are you experiencing a trial? A struggle? I don't know why God has brought that into your life. It could be lots of different reasons. But it is at least worth our consideration when those times come up. God, are you seeking to change my heart? I do not want to be left to myself. Please help me to respond to you and what you're doing. Can you think of any instances in your life in the past where God's done that very thing? And the only thing that would wake you up and shock you out of all of uh, the, the sin and the rebellion and the distance from God that you were pursuing was a great trial. And God in His grace and His mercy brought that into your life to change your perspective and open up your eyes. May we worship and trust and count it joy that we would have a God who cares for us and who is working in this way, who acts in the hearts and minds and lives of people who left to ourselves would completely run astray from Him. So here we've seen God act 
to preserve the honor of his kingdom. We've seen God act to change the heart of his king. But remember, David's actions did not just affect himself. His recklessness brought struggle and pain to all those associated with him. And lastly, what we see is that even there, God acts. God acts to rescue the people of the king. Remember, what had been taken? Everything. Everything. And what was left was burned. They're in great distress. They're weeping. Where are they going to go? They're in the wilderness. A band comes up and takes all of your stuff. You've been away for at least three days. You come back. Where do we begin to look? That's why the men with David were so angry. Their good is gone. They're probably already sold as slaves somewhere. But notice, God acts. Remember what he promised David. David says, should I go? That's a question he hasn't asked in a long time. God says, yeah, go. You're going to overtake them and you will recover everything. Notice how that begins to happen. In verse 11, they just so happen to find an Egyptian hanging out in the middle of nowhere. Where does this guy come from? The Amalekites kick him to the curb because he's sick. He's been out there three days. But God brings David and his men to this Egyptian. He leads them to exactly where the Amalekites are because he knows their paths. He knows their hiding places because of where he's been. And notice what happens in verse 16 and following. He'd taken them down. Behold, they were spread abroad over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And David struck them down from twilight until evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except for 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. And listen to the emphasis. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken. David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. Notice their perspective. Look at what David's done. Look at what he has accomplished. But we know differently. And David, now that his heart has been changed to see and recognize what is actually going on, he gives the honor where it's due because he recognizes that God is the one who acted. God is the one who moved. God is the one who saved and rescued the people. Notice what he says. There's all this bickering about who gets what from the, uh, the spoil. But in verse 23, David says, You shall not do so, my brothers, with what Yahweh has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. David recognizes and knows that left to himself, he would not have been able to accomplish this rescue. Left to himself, what would happen to the people of the king? Even with great intentions 
to protect and preserve his people, what happened when David relied on his own self and his own thinking? Capture? Disaster? Enslavement? But thanks be to God that it wasn't left just to David. Left to himself, David would have brought further destruction upon God's people, but God acted and moved and preserved and rescued the people of the king. Now, this here is already showing us the limitations of a mere man. Because David's actions, even his best intentions, compromise and put his people at risk and jeopardize them. We are in need of someone greater than David. We are... No mere man will save us. Therefore, God in His grace and His mercy acted to enter into our world that the King who would bring about the kingdom, the King who would rescue the people would be God in the flesh. Truly God and truly man. Nothing Jesus ever did put His people in jeopardy. Everything that Jesus did worked to move, to bring about glory to God, and to secure the perfect redemption of the people of God. Who? Who is this God? And who is this King that would work and move and act in David's life, in the lives of his people, in your life, in mine? Can you think of instances in your own life where due to your Recklessness, you've jeopardized the lives of others, those you deeply care about. In Uzbekistan a few months ago, a mom made a, a reckless decision. She took her kids to a zoo and they were looking at, at uh, some bears and she held her young toddler over the rail to get a closer look at the bear and dropped her. She fell into the shallow moat in front of where the bear was in his uh, little area. The bear comes down, sniffs the little girl, and runs away. The mother can do nothing. She's helpless to rescue and deliver her child. The zookeepers come in. They lure the bear away with food into another cage area, and they go down, and they're able to rescue and save the girl. You may not have dangled your child over a bear's cage. But have you and I not thought about the implications of our actions and the things that we've done? And whether it's our children or our parents or a neighbor or the honor of God, we've done things where we could have ruined and destroyed lives. But God in His tenderness and His compassion for some reason prevented that from happening. God doesn't always do that. He's not obligated to do that sometimes. And we're going to see later, David is going to experience the implications of his sin and someone that he loves deeply is going to suffer because of his rebellion. God doesn't always act like that. But when He does, should we not take notice? Respond to His grace. Respond to his actions. We see God desires to act and work to save the people of the king. 
And you and I, we've placed our faith and hope in Christ, have a King who will save us and rescue us to the uttermost. He will perfectly rule and reign and preserve you and me and His people forever. I'm glad I didn't have to save myself. May we respond with worship and praise to the God who acts to preserve the honor of His kingdom. The God who acts to change the heart of His King and His people. And the God who acts to rescue the people of the King. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank You for being the true and greater heir of David, the king of God's own choosing who perfectly fulfilled everything that you were called to do. We thank you that you didn't leave us to ourselves. That is what we deserved. That's what we always deserve. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the good news of the gospel that you have redeemed and saved sinners like me Sinners like us, turn our hearts to you as we await the coming of your kingdom and your return. In Christ's name, amen.